You're listening to episode 134 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. You guys hear that? It's the sound of silence, of peace, of tranquility, of no fill or kale jumping in with toilet sounds or weak-ass bits. We're just... Just, just peace, tranquility. I feel like um, that's what it is. Zen. It is. You know, like when you when you go to get like a massage and you're in the parlor and they're playing that like ambient like um, I don't know the word, but like that. It's like the Chinese like sitar like kind of like I, I. But you know what I mean? It's like that very just like just like it's like you're at a koi pond. You know, you're just breathing in like some fresh air on a mountainside. You know, it's like. It's like I feel like I can finally breathe. Right. And then they slip a finger in their butt because it's, uh, you know, Whoa. that massage place on 82nd. Whoa. Wait, what's up with the massage place on 82nd? <laughs> it closed down due to suspected prostitution. Oh, uh, unfortunate. Oh, it's closed down. I was going to say, apparently, Marco, I don't I, I don't know if they have some kind of referral program, but he's saying it's a good place to go get a off. prostate massage. Apparently. Did you make it there before they closed? I did not. That's unfortunate for you. Is it? Bummer. Well, I mean, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to call up Mari and ask her. Mm. Uh, so, we, as Pete mentioned, we're down two of our five today. Uh, Phil. Yeah, but it's four and five, so well, that's, it's fine. That's a fair point. Uh, Phil, you know, he's off gallivanting somewhere. Uh, Kale is celebrating his anniversary with jess so congratulations to them how many well congratulations to jess i guess i don't yeah. i mean i she could have done better congratulations right. to Kale yeah, for congratulations tricking to... her into marrying you you talk about punching <laughs> up um yeah jesus <laughs> i'm sorry that was very rude i didn't mean that um uh <laughs> so yeah we'll hold down the fort without them but we actually have a Pretty cool treat for you guys today because a little later on we're going to be joined by a special guest, one of um, one of Marco's homeboys, uh, Tyler Crook, awesome artist. Uh, Harrow County, high praises. What else? What else? Harrow County, the Stone um, King, the Stone King. Most recently, uh, brand BPRD. new comicsology book. Um, he did some stuff on the Sixth Gun, his own graphic novel Petrograd. Um, he, he lot did of the, stuff. Uh, did the Man Thing miniseries with R.L. Stein for Marvel That's a couple right. years back. Oh man, he was the guy on that. That was actually pretty good. I read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he did the he he don't he does like the watercolor style. Like he paints everything instead of drawing. It's he's got a very unique voice for sure yeah yeah so we're gonna have a, a, a conversation with him a little bit later very excited yes yes uh but there's actually still quite a bit to get into this has been a very very interesting week um now that avengers now that avengers endgame has kind of you know left the room uh there's actually stuff to talk about so Everyone's like, "Oh, can we talk about comics again?" Okay, cool. <laughs> Is that time now? I've been sitting on this Robert Pattinson news for two weeks. One hundred percent. Like I'm, I'm 
pretty confident that this news has been, you know, waiting in the wings, if you will, and uh, they finally the the can drop it. The bat wings, Sean. No, no. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> I'll try again. Go ahead. The Robin Wings. No. Mm. <laughs> what are you doing, man? The Night Wings. No. Damn. Enough. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Enough Penguins wings? have wings. They can't fly, but. <laughs> exactly. And neither is this podcast. There's a lot of, uh, <laughs> of wing-related material from Batman. It's a rich area. <laughs> and it's been fully mined. <laughs> Clearly. Um, so we're not doing that anymore. Uh, instead, I'm going to tell you guys where you can find us. We are on all sorts of podcast hosting platforms at the Comics Pals, including Spotify, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, all that other good stuff. Uh, you can catch us on social media at the Comics Pals. And, of course, you can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. You can hit us up with, you know, random question of the week by ourselves or any of that kind of cool stuff if you want. Um, all those things are free to do and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. So do reach out and say hello. We actually have some words uh, from you guys to read today. So, Pete, why don't you take that and uh, run with it? All right, so we've got a uh, email here from one of the most frequent writers to the show, our pal Ryan, uh, who wrote in with his thoughts about New York Comic Con. So he said, hey guys, after mulling it over for a while, I've decided I'd like to attend New York Comic Con this year. The part I'm most excited about is having the chance to get some comics signed by some writers and artists I really admire. I was very happy when I saw that Brian K. Vaughn was on the list of attendees. Being able to point uh, to point to a signed issue of Saga or Why the Last Man and say, this is from the time I met Brian K. Vaughn is an exciting prospect indeed. Anyway, I know you guys have been to NYCC before, and I was wondering if you could answer a question for me. What are the odds of me actually walking out of there with a BKV signature? New, uh, NYCC specifies that BKV will be doing an in-booth signing as opposed to many of the other guests who are doing Artist Alley. Since he's one of the bigger names, this makes me think that the line will be quite long and I either won't end up getting a signature or I'll only get one after spending two or three hours of my day in a line, which will leave me less time to check out the rest of the convention. Can you guys shed some light on this? Sincerely, Ryan. P.S. If you guys plan on attending NYCC again this year, I think it's time we finally shook hands. Yo, meet up with the boy. <laughs> yeah, well, first of all, we will definitely be there, Ryan. We cover NYCC every year um, and have for quite some time now. Uh, so we will definitely be there and we would love to meet you. Yeah, um, absolutely. But to answer his question, um, near Comic Con, I, I can't speak to Brian K. Vaughn specifically this year because I don't know where he's doing his signings, um, if somebody wants to pull that up. But if he's doing what he did the last couple of years where he's like going to go to the image booth or something like that, uh, it'll be well broadcasted that he will be available at this place at this time. Right. So as long as you go and line up when that starts, um, it's usually just the amount of time that they specify and then you're done. So if it's like 2.30 to 3.30, if you get there early and you're at the front of that line, you'll be able to see him, get your book signed, get your two minutes with him, take a picture or whatever, and then bounce. Um, when I did it for BKV, it was, you know, he was just as popular as he is now. And I, I think I was in line for maybe 30 minutes. 
and and it, and you know got he signed like two or three books for me and like talked with me for a few minutes so like <clears throat> if that's your number one thing you want to accomplish at New York Comic Con it's definitely doable just make sure you you figure out when he's going to be there and get there and secure your spot yeah and 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 definitely in the madness of New York uh, NYCC like also be sure you know how far away you are from where you need to be so like let's say in the event that you're walking around traveling and you're like on the other side of the con uh definitely know how far it is and, and where it's located so way one you don't get lost and then two you can sort of gauge that distance of like oh should i grab lunch really quick or should i just like wait it out and definitely keep in mind of like what day it is because mm-hmm. saturday is always the busiest day um so like if you're there for the whole weekend and you're like oh i was able to get from this side of the con to the other in about 10 minutes that's gonna change on a saturday so budget your time well. If this is the thing you really want to accomplish, get there early and be at the front of the line because it's better to wait 30 minutes before the line starts, you know, than an hour after it does. Yeah. And you want to make sure that you're at the, at, at the front. And if there are any other artists or like writers you want to meet that aren't necessarily like in, in, in uh, at a larger booth or they have like their individual booths and like they get a little bit busy, um, you might try to catch them like maybe a little bit early, like on the earlier side. Or as stuff starts to die down, if you're sort of in the middle of that, what twelve p to like four, uh, it's there's a lot going on. Um, so I'd hours. recommend, yeah, it's like peak hours. So if you can try to get in uh, earlier or try to approach people like later on in the day. Yeah, especially if your goal is to like actually have a conversation with somebody. Like in Artist Alley, even when I wasn't pressed, like I've had like people are nice. They'll talk to you um, as long as you're not a jerk, and you know, um, definitely just don't crowd booths like marco said in that 12 to 4 spot because they're trying to make sales you know so the first few years that i went to new york comic-con uh it was different because it was a lot smaller and there weren't as many people but i made a point to try to get every signing i possibly could um that's just where i was at in my fandom and uh, sometimes you would wait a long time, um, but mostly, you know, around that 30 minute, 45 minute time frame. And again, everyone's really nice. Brian K. Vaughn is extremely popular. You're definitely going to want to make the line before the signing starts because there is a time limit, you know, and, uh, unfortunately there are instances where not everyone does get their book signed. This, you say, uh, it's going to be your first New York Comic Con, and, or at least I get the impression that it is, based on what you wrote here. Um, just go and go with a checklist of maybe three to five things that you want to do, because you can't do everything in one day, and if you've never been there before, you don't know how to navigate the space, so you're not, it, it takes time to go from point A to point B, you'd be surprised. Like you can't really get from point A to point B in a short period of time when you don't know shortcuts and you're waiting through people and stuff like that. So you really just want to go in with a plan of attack and try your best to stick to that plan. Uh, It's going to take you time to get to Artist Alley. It's going to take you time to find where Brian K. Vaughn is. He won't be on Artist Alley, but it'll take you time to find where he's at. You know, everything takes time. So just budget accordingly, be ready for that, and just try to soak it all in. Um, and again, you can't do everything. So, you know, just uh, just have fun. 
Jumping off that point, Sean, I would definitely, if, if you haven't bought tickets yet, I would recommend getting two passes, you know, because I think like, I know, I don't know about you, Sean, but I know the first time I ever went, I only got a one day pass. Um, somebody like bought it for me as a gift and I immediately was like, God, I wish I had one more day. Yeah. You know, um, you can't see it all in a day and like you want to budget some time to just walk around and see shit, you know? Um, and you can't do that if you're only doing a one day excursion, you better, like Sean said, have a plan of attack. And if there are things you really want to do, you make sure you do them. The first time I went to New York Comic Con, I went for three days and I didn't see everything because I mean, it's hard. It's hard when you have never been there before. Plus you're wide eyed, you know? There's so many creators you've never seen before. Um, and like I said, I went there with a stack of books every day to get signed. So I had my goal and I stuck to it pretty well. I saw some things, but mostly, you know, I wanted to do that and like see some panels. So again, you can't do everything. You can't see everything. Um, do your best, but make sure you see what you want to see. Don't miss out on on cool stuff. Um, and, and again, just know, like, if you want to see a panel, it starts at 2. The Brian K. Vaughn signing starts at 2.30. You might have to make a choice there. So Yeah. And, and I would say anything that you really want to do, be there a half hour early. Yep. Absolutely. And for, like, the really big panels, there's a ticketing system. So make sure you look into that. Like, if you want to go to a main stage panel, that's a thing you need to secure a spot for at the beginning of the day. From time to time, there are ticketing systems for signings as well. So uh, be on the lookout for that, too. But thank you, Ryan. Uh, We appreciate you writing in. Uh, Hopefully, we do get to run into you at New York Comic Con. I'm sure we'll be in contact before then. So we'll figure it out. Um, And, of course, if anyone else, if you're a listener and you're going to New York Comic Con and you want to hang out, that's totally cool by us. Uh, we'll be very noticeable because we have our sweet shirts um, that you guys have seen if you've checked out our YouTube coverage of New York Comic Con. Um, but otherwise, you know, let us know and we'll figure something out, whether it's a meetup or whatever. You know, if there are enough of you guys, we'll we'll definitely make that happen, and we're happy to do it. I'll I'll uh, I'll be bringing books as well. I, I like to go around and give out books. Like we can do some swaps too for anything that you guys are into and that we're into. Um, we can do that as well. Yeah, definitely. That sounds like a plan. We'll all meet up. We'll swap books. We'll get burgers. Yo, down to goof. Sounds. Yeah, I'm down to goof. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) We're the goof troop, Sean. Come on. We always stick together. I don't know what that, no, (laughs) I'm not with that. (laughs) Not at all. Um, so, again, thank you, Ryan. And if you guys want to write in, you can do so at the comicspals at gmail.com. We are very accessible. And as you can see, we'll actually read your comments on the air. So, uh, definitely do write to us. All right. So, let's do our, let's do our pals polls real quick. Um, so, for Marco, we've got Road of Bones, number one. So, Road of Bones uh, is an IDW book. I like to poke around to see what they have because uh, every once in a while they come out with something, you know, pretty interesting. And this one caught my eye just off the cover alone. Uh, and then clicking through to the description, uh, it's in 1953, the Siberian gulag of Kolymia 
is hell on earth, which is why Roman Marzov leaps at the chance to escape it. But even if they make it out, Roman and his fellow escapees still have hundreds of miles of frozen tundra between them and freedom. With the help of a mysterious being straight out of childhood fairy tales, Roman just might make it, or is the being simply a manifestation of his brutal circumstances driving him insane? Uh, so the writer is Rich Dueck from Gutter Magic and artist Alex Cormack from Sync. Um, so it's supposed to be a, a sort of horror history Russian folklore book that, you know, it's out there. So I'm, I'm down to take a take a look at it. That sounds very cool. Very, very cool. From Pete, we've got Martian Manhunter number five. Hell yeah, Pete. Yeah, dude, I've just really been enjoying this book. Um, it's It's been the book that I'm like, I wouldn't say, no, actually I would. I think I would say this is the book I'm most excited about picking up right now, like in general. Um, I remember the last time I went to the shop, I like I hadn't checked what was out this week. And I was like, oh, is there a new Martian Manhunter yet? No, fuck. <laughs> like it, it's just cool it's it's it the art is is really neat it's been it's a character like i don't have a lot of history with so it's been fun to just be like here for the ride you know and like not have a lot of pretense it's like i i liked martian manhunter in the justice league cartoon and that is about where my experience with him like ended so it's been really cool um and i've, I've really been enjoying it and i just wanted to give it another shout because we did a review of the i want to say first two issues was it just the first? I think it was just the first. Either way, we did it a while back now. Um, but it's a book I've continued to pick up and enjoy. And if you haven't jumped on yet, you definitely should. It's It's been really cool. And we're about halfway through now. So um, I don't know what their plans are in terms of collecting it. I don't know if there's going to be like a volume one around the corner. I would hope so. But uh, definitely worth catching up on it and uh, and jumping on before it's over. Nice. I, Are either you guys still reading this? I dropped this? it. Couldn't get into it? No. Unfortunately not. Um, and then for those of you who do want to listen to more, uh, we reviewed the first issue on episode 111. Avengers Endgame trailer finally drops. So that was back then. <laughs> oh, wow. That was back then. De- December. <laughs> Good God. Um, and you also picked out the Life is Strange trade. Yes, uh, so I've talked about this book a little bit too. Um, I'm a huge Life is Strange fan, a Life is Strange fan, um, as some of you know. Uh, but if you don't, Life is Strange is a, a video game series from um, Don't Nod and published by Square Enix. And they did a, uh, a comic book story that kind of um, like continued the journey of the original cast of main characters now that Life is Strange 2 is dealing with a new, a new group of people. Um, so it was something that I was just really into as a fan. I only, um, I only got to pick up the, like, one, two, three, and then I couldn't find four or six, so I haven't actually been able to finish this, so I'm, I'm excited to grab the trade and, uh, and, and get to finish it up. Awesome, man. I chose Action Comics 1011, and this is more of a reminder for myself because I have been dying to catch up with what Brian Bendis has been doing with Superman. By all accounts, it's really good. And Event Leviathan is the next big DC story coming up. Uh, They actually just announced it. It's going to be Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev teaming up. Yeah. Yeah. 
to tell a superhero um, mystery story. So it's an event series. It's going to be a mystery. And I often think that those are some of the higher quality events that get done. Um, Heroes in Crisis, I guess, notwithstanding, I really enjoy mysteries and superhero stories. So, go ahead. Yeah, the Longbox Boys uh, mentioned that, you know, the, the story's pretty good. Uh, it, it still has its moments of bend to speak, but I think that the plot overall has been pretty engaging for them. Uh, so they, they've, I think they've stuck on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and um, I really, like I've bought every book. I'm just behind. I thought the covers for this issue were brilliant too. And that was something that caught my eye. So, you know, again, just more of a reminder for me to, to get onto this book. And I'm actually really excited to do so. I want to read Event Leviathan. Hoping I can get you guys to read that for the show. Um, it is the next DC event and all that. So we'll talk about that more later. But um, Action Comics 1011. I think we'll jump into the news. I think we'll jump into the news. Because I'm actually dying to talk about this next subject. Uh, this is this is the, the hottest thing going right now in the entertainment world this piece of news here uh matt reeves has been working on a batman movie he's been working on a batman trilogy for quite some time now it's been a few years since uh this was first announced and originally we all thought oh yeah ben affleck duh but no because the batfleck saga was a long and arduous process by which we finally learned that Ben Affleck would not be portraying the role of Bruce Wayne in Matt Reeves movies or any other movies for that matter. He is out. So who's in? Well, good. (laughs) uh, I guess depending on your perspective. Uh, So we then heard this just this week, a bombshell that Robert Pattinson, yes, Robert Pattinson from Twilight, would be playing Batman in Matt Reeves' trilogy. What? <laughs> so, I, the first thing when I saw this, I showed it to Mariana, my girlfriend, and she goes, Mm, not gonna watch it. I was like, "Oh, okay, all right." Uh, she's she's seen Twilight. I think she was a fan of it, and uh, she didn't much like care for the series after. And that's also the only my only knowledge of Robert Pattinson as an actor. And so, having that paint my opinion overall, I immediately was like, "Hmm, I don't know if I like this." Uh, but I've seen comments and people sort of start talking about you know his other work. I think High Life was one. Um, with a uh, oh, regardless, it 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 has at least intrigued me to the extent where people are supporting this decision, and so I'm curious to just explore more of him as an actor before I feel like I can comment on whether or not this is a good thing. Just because I my only knowledge of him is from Twilight, which has been you know a lambasted series. So, uh, I don't know. I I don't know how I feel about this yet. Yeah. Alright, so I'm gonna I'm gonna come out here with the hot takes. Uh because I think if Phil was here, this is definitely what he would do. Um no, this is this is cool. Uh when when this when this came out, this is what Phil said in our chat, actually. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him this. So 
he goes he is all right now he goes let it be known uh that robert pattinson as batman is probably good as hell he's a great actor uh it's probably most people probably think of twilight when they think of him which was a a decade ago b a franchise he disliked doing and he said he was fucking great in high life and good time he's a good ass actor so that seems to be the resounding opinion uh for a lot of his especially very recent work um the two movies he just called out are both like within the last year high life was last year and good time was 2017 um so the dude's been on a roll and i'm not about to judge somebody for like you know uh an acting performance that like the late the latest entry was seven years ago that's a lot of opportunity for him to grow as an actor yeah and um and yeah man i mean i'm sure they picked him for a reason you know like knowing that there was going to be this backlash and everything it's not like he's like a fucking name right now and i feel like there's a precedent for this like when when they chose michael keaton as batman he was mr mom before that you know heath ledger was in brokeback mountain and then a bunch of like teenage heartthrob movies you know like i i i my whole thing is i don't i haven't seen robert pattinson in any of his like acclaimed work but the dude clearly has chops and is probably hungry for people to look at him as something other than edward from twilight so like, yeah, let's fucking give him a shot, man. I feel like he looks the part for sure. And and to that point, Pete, with just with regards to him like wanting to to maybe make his mark and be hungry, I think like with that sort of mentality, let, let's say he's going in into it with that sort of mentality of just like I need to disassociate myself from that. I need to show that I can continue to be an actor and like to do so within a franchise that the genre of superheroes has been exploding the way it has. Um and if you can find that success similar to like Wonder Woman with this as Robert Pattinson as an actor is just going to elevate himself. So I think that's just motivation in and of itself. Right. Then people will think of him as Batman. Exactly. You know? So like, I feel like there's precedent for him to like give a solid performance. And I totally understand why he would be hungry for this opportunity. So like, I, I feel like it could really be good. Yeah. Yeah, I um I've stopped having big reactions to whoever's going to play whatever character just because I definitely learned my lesson with the Joker. Will Smith? Oh, Will Smith. What? <laughs> uh Deadshot, guys. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Um <laughs> Heath Ledger playing the Joker definitely taught me that actors have range and you can't judge a book by its cover and yada yada yada. So I have no I don't have feelings about it because on the one hand I have no associate I don't have a familiarity with him. My only familiarity is Twilight and I didn't see those movies. So I don't even know how he acted in those. Um obviously I have a general negative Wait, huh? Have you seen Harry Potter? Yeah, I know he was in that, but I like he. Yeah, he was in he was in the fourth one. Yeah, like that. <laughs> um, That's the only thing I've ever seen him in. I've never seen Twilight right. either. So I don't have a I don't have a negative opinion of his acting. I have a negative opinion of Twilight, but not because I saw it, just because of all the conversation around it. So um, he very well could be a good actor. Don't know. 
I people that I respect and the general discourse online is that he is a good actor. So I'm taking that um, at face value. However, this is not necessarily the truth. As it turns out, news websites jumped the gun on announcing that Robert Pattinson is actually Batman. No. Yes. I didn't know this. Yes. So, uh, Sean, you know, sometimes you just like let us talk, and it's like, oh, you know, we're we're having a nice conversation, and then and then and then you do this where you just like pull us pull it on under the rug, and now I don't know what to it's do. It's very fun to do this. So, <laughs> the 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 most recent reports, and so Variety was the first website to announce that Pattinson was cast, but. Deadline and others have since come out and said that this is not true and that there are actually other actors who are still being considered, including Nicholas Holt, Army Hammer, and Aaron Taylor Johnson. Those are all individuals that are on the short list for the role. Really? Yes. Pattinson is the front runner, but those all those people are still in the running. I do not I do not recognize that first Nicholas guy. Holt. Nicholas Holt. It says he, he sounds was super X-Men. familiar. It says he was an X-Men. Yeah, he uh oh gosh. Uh he's Beast. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. I like him. And Aaron Taylor Johnson is of course uh he was Kick-Ass and and Quicksilver. Yeah. So Sean, so they so Variety announced that he was the next lead and then everybody else has been like no there's just more people so then why variety like why why release it was just this misinformation it's possible that it was misinformation it's possible that they know something that other people don't know although i doubt that um it's possible that they wanted to jump the gun it's also possible this is something that has happened before it's very possible that this was deliberately leaked to see what the reaction would be like. And if the reaction was really, really bad, then they just would sign someone else. But if the reaction is was good, which it kind of has been, um, then they'll, you know, they'll take that and run with it. So, yeah, because I mean, like the only like controversy of, around this announcement, I feel like has been. You know, and, and like I don't, I don't mean this to like be shitty to anybody, but I feel like a lot of people who are just being shitty and being like, "Oh, is he gonna sparkle? Like what?" It's like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, okay, cool. Like he played that character like in his early twenties. The dude's uh, like a lot older now, and it's like I feel like most people are jumping to be like, "Well, if you'd actually seen him in anything, he's a pretty good actor." So I, I feel like they'll probably end up going with him because I, I agree with you, Sean. I feel like the overall reaction has been positive, and. In addition to that, um, you know, he's not – look, people were afraid about Heath Ledger, like I said, and they were wrong. And the backlash that that Warner received to Heath Ledger had no bearing at all on the box office for that movie. So if Robert Pattinson does the job – that he's hired to do if he gets hired to do it and it's good people will go no matter what it's batman you know people want to see batman and 
you know, that's just the way it is. So I feel like um, there's no problem here. Man, like, how how cool would this be for both the Batman franchise and for him as an actor? Like, because it's right now, it's like, when's the last time there was, like, a good Batman movie, really? And it's, like, Rises, you know? And it's like, I don't even like that movie very much, so. But the Dark Knight trilogy, the Nolan trilogy, ended so long ago. And, like, if it com- if this comes out and it is just awesome and he kicks ass in it, like, Batman will be back and he'll look like king fucking shit, you know? Like it'll be like a like a legit comeback for his his career. Yeah. Um which is awesome. So like good luck. I hope it's good. Yeah. Fucking A. Absolutely. So, uh there is more news though on the subject of this movie. Um I I, I do though. I do want to uh <laughs> I want to I want to talk just a little bit more about the the reactions um, that people have, because you know the people's opinions are important on this subject. So let's uh, let's go through a couple of a couple of comments here. So uh, we've got some Twitter comments from at Wheeler. I think the brooding, underappreciated Twilight star will be a great Batman, but if Kristen Stewart won't do it, Robert Pattinson is good too. <laughs> nice. So Clever. a lot of uh, a lot of people wanting uh, Kristen Stewart to appear in this movie. In fact, a lot of people actually asking for her to play Catwoman. Now that might sound outrageous, and it does, but <laughs> it's not out of line because. Penguin and Catwoman are rumored to be two of the six villains that will be in this movie. Sorry, six? Six villains. That's, uh... I mean, so here's the thing. I think that that definitely on its face is a little concerning. Um, We all know how Spider-Man 3 went when they tried to juggle multiple villains. Um, but I think this this is the kind of thing that could definitely work if those villains are united towards a singular goal, not broken up in seven different storylines. Um, so that gives me pause, but I don't think it's like automatically like, a bad thing yeah i i wonder if it'll be sort of a like a hush kind of thing where you know people make their appearances and he does his thing and he interacts with some of them but mostly it's like a like a fan service aspect to it yeah or like or or like i, I yeah i think that's a great example right it's like just because they're in the movie doesn't mean they need to be the focus of the movie right like if Penguin's the main bad guy, maybe one or two of the other like notable rogues from Batman's gallery like are his supporting players or something like we had with Vulture and like Scorpion in the Spider-Man movie. Um, and and then maybe Catwoman is like kind of, you know, does what Catwoman does where she's her own third party and like kind of plays both sides. Um, I feel like that totally is is fine. One thing that's always bothered me about Batman movies is that they're very they tend to be very singularly focused 
And Batman has a vast rogues gallery and exists in a city that is constantly teeming with, you know, violence and villainy. And the movies have never done a good job of reflecting that. That's always bothered me. So the idea that the movie would consist of several villains is pretty cool because you can show the different elements of Batman's rogues gallery, especially probably a lot of villains we haven't seen. Because you can't do, you probably can't do six villains and then they're all A-list villains, right? That's that's too yeah. crowded. No. The other thing to keep in mind, though, is that this is planned and has been planned as a trilogy. So it's very possible, in fact, I would argue likely, that we'll see a lot of people who will then matter more later. So, yeah, you could have, you know, maybe the Riddler is the overarching villain, you know, and Batman is the, like kind of like a Arkham, Arkham, the Arkham video games where the Riddler is a part of it, but mostly as like, you know, yeah. And obviously Batman's not going to be running around collecting trophies, but, you know, maybe there's stuff he has to solve while he's dealing with other people that lead him to quickly trouncing the Riddler and then get on to other business, you know? Like right, Victor's right. Zaz or something. That'd be yeah. cool, like an underlying story yeah, or whatever. Yeah. It could easily be, yeah, like I think like the example you, you laid out makes a ton of sense, Sean, of just like having a side villain kind of divert Batman's attention because he needs something from them right. to deal with the broader threat that he's actually trying to accomplish. Um, I think that that totally makes sense. Yeah, you know, uh, and and I feel like there's a lot of ways you can do this. And I think you make a really good point about the fact that like so since so many superhero movies focus on one villain, like especially with Batman, like Gotham is is as much a character as Batman or or anybody, right? And I feel like the city is often like used. It was like used as like a metaphor a lot in Nolan's trilogy, but it never really felt like a place that was like alive you know and that like the the like kind of criminal culture in gotham i feel like has never really been totally well realized so i'm i'm excited about the idea of getting to see some of these characters interact and i think if you just think a little bit about how they could be utilized you'll realize that it doesn't have to be messy yeah especially i think mad reeves is very capable so if, if his idea is this, and it's his idea, because everybody brings up the Spider-Man 3 thing like you did, and it's fine because it makes sense, but like Spider-Man 3, X-Men The Last Stand, those bloated movies that we always talk about were mandated by studios to be that way. Right. So if the creator has the idea on the outset, you know, we read stories all the time that feature who knows how many villains, you know? Um Marco brought up Hush. The Long Halloween features a ton of villains. There is a great catalog of Batman stories that are like this. So I don't feel uh, overwhelmed by this idea on its face. Could it suck? Of course. But that doesn't mean that it can't be done it right. Will. Yeah, literally anything can suck. And so. also the those movies like Spider-Man 3 and X-Men 3, th those were like another era of superheroes on film. Right, like, like we're we're in a a, a post Marvel MCU huge storyline uh, world, and so like to to expect that we're going to receive that same quality, I think is not 
it seems silly. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not realistic, you know, because yeah. I think like even just like on its face, like people like g- general audiences are so much more I guess acclimated, right? Like t- yeah, yeah, attuned, attuned to like comics and how they work. So it's like the idea of it being like, oh yeah, there's a bunch of supervillains in Gotham. People will be like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> right? I don't think it's as tough as a cell as it used to be. Right. Yeah. Like people people watched fucking, you know, 20 some odd Marvel movies culminate and they're like, I know who all these people are. They'll fucking figure it out. You know? Exactly. And similar to, you know, like Avengers Infinity War. You know, people didn't realize it, but it had how many villains with names, you know? Like seven? When you count Thanos, the whole Black Order, Red Skull, like, that's a lot of characters. Granted, the Black Order were, you know, bit players, but those are villains with names. And so if someone said to you, oh, Infinity War is going to feature seven villains, you would have said, oh, my God, that's stupid. But in the context of what the film was... It makes sense. So, you know, pump pump the brakes. Also, like, real talk, I feel like Batman has such a leg up compared to any other character when you have that conversation. Because, like, who doesn't know Batman's, like, top five villains, even if you don't fucking, like, fuck with comics, like, or anything at all? Like, you're telling me that, like, you're a person who grew up or has been alive during, like, the 90s and 2000s and you're not aware of, like you know, at least some of Batman's rogues gallery, like the Joker, the Riddler, Poison Ivy, like even Clayface. Like there's so many of those characters that I feel like don't need a super significant introduction. You can kind of just like get a sense for who they are and we'll get into them more frequently when they're the main players at some other point. So I'm actually really excited by this news. Unfortunately, we will not be able to see this movie until June 25th. 2021 at the earliest that's the currently scheduled release date that's more likely to be pushed back than forward so we'll see what uh four villains do you think they're gonna throw in great question um i wait wait is is that a great random question oh, of the week look at that synergy it's been a while since we did one of these yeah. so go uh, ahead yeah go ahead Pete. so so we know penguin and catwoman Right, like we're saying, well, we're assuming they're gonna already be in play. So, I mean, I, I, I really like Sean's idea of the Riddler. I think he slots in there really well. Yeah, he, he's good as a as a character that sort of is sits in the background and and just like does his thing and is not not a nuisance, but he's just that player that uh, lurks around in the shadows behind and is always behind something. Right? Yeah, I don't feel like he usually has like the big plan it's usually that he's got this cockamamie like scheme that he's worked out and he just wants to like be like to prove he's smarter than batman really like you know you can totally have him be a bit player and like not have that feel like you're underserving him as a character you know i uh i'd like to see uh victor zaz in in a movie like i'd like to see that more of like a a grittier uh, villain in the sense that Batman is approaching it as like a detective. He's he's trying to solve a murder mystery or, or something along those lines. I, that'd be a character I'd be interested to to see explored. Well, speaking of which, this movie is actually 
and this trilogy uh, is supposed to focus heavily on the detective aspect of Batman's character. Oh, right. Ooh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. That is so exciting. And that plays a lot into what villains I think we're likely to see. I think you you have to look more towards the villains who are more lower to the ground, if you will. Um, and I think when you talk about mysteries in the in the Batman world, again... There are some stories that come to mind. You know, again, Hush comes to mind. Um, And I think you also, again, The Long Halloween comes to mind. So I feel like, based on that, I'm going to say, like you guys said, Riddler. But I'm also going to say we will see or be alluded to Hush on some level. Okay. Okay. So that would be four already we'd have two more no that's I, three because riddler zaz and then uh Hush. oh right i forgot zaz yeah yeah um yo kite man no <laughs> nah not nah maybe someday but not right away oh professor pig professor pig is a villain that is probably due he's probably yo, due. he's uh, that'd be so cool he's I mean, freaky he's so scary to, it could be a good way to put someone like that over too, who like have him be like a supporting, like he's working for the penguin or something sure, like that. And yeah. He can graduate to like a main villain status in a later movie. Yeah. I don't think professor pig is really the kind of character you can build around. We can build a movie around. Cause he's not really, um, he doesn't have a lot of depth and he's also just kind of just weird <laughs> in a, in a weird way. <laughs> um, He's weird in a weird way. But uh, I think to give him a, a, a role in a movie like this where, you know, B- Batman finds out that there are these, you know, people being killed and, you know, whatever. And it leads to Professor Pig, who's whatever, chopping up bodies for the penguin. I don't know. And he just quickly dispatches of him. You yeah. know, again, I'm down with that. I'm trying to think of who else, like, fits into this. Because I, I feel like another character they could introduce without having be a main player yet would be Poison Ivy. Because we could meet her pre the Switch, even. You know? And she would still be like, well, she's technically a villain in the movie. But, like, she could not be, like, an antagonist in this first appearance. Right. You know? And with Catman, I mean Catman, with Catwoman already being featured, like that might also play into like a more familial emotional aspect between those two characters. Yeah, somehow like set that up for future films as well. You know, like start laying threads that like they know each other somehow and whatever. Right, because they're they're friends. They become friends in the comics with uh, Harley too, right? The three of them. Oh yeah. Uh so even though I just said hush. I had another thought. So, if you guys recall Batman vs. Superman, uh, there was a moment where you could see the suit of Jason Todd. And it had writing on it. The insinuation was that, obviously, the Joker had killed Jason Todd in that universe. They've never said... Well, they've been coy about whether or not this is a prequel to Ben Affleck's Batman. But let's say it is. Um, this could also be the introduction of Red Hood. And that was a mystery akin to the Hush mystery. And um, if that's the case, 
you could make the argument for Red Hood, but you could also make the argument for um, Ra's al Ghul, who also appeared in that story and who um, always refers to Batman as the detective. You know, that's his moniker for him and all that kind of cool stuff. So there's a lot of places you could go. I think Rache also makes sense because um, he's another character I could see in that puppet master kind of role. Like he's setting a bunch of shit up but you don't actually know that he's the real villain until like later in the movie after Batman's like dispatched with a couple other like lower level players that, you know, he had in his employ. I think that, that that's another one that, that makes a lot of sense, but I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, no, no. Yeah. I, I think that could still make sense. Cause I was going to say, I don't know if like, I see Penguin working for him, but I could see it where he, Penguin doesn't even know he's working for him. You know, or like it, he's so far out puppet mastering shit in the shadows, you know? Right. And and again, Penguin Penguin could Penguin is a criminal in Gotham who has his hands in everything. So whatever the yeah. overarching story is, Penguin could have his uh, part in that. He doesn't have to be the main character in that. You know, um, yeah, or even really that significant, you know, like it could just be that he's supplying Raish with some thing he needs that he got because of his connections in the underground, you know, and like Batman beats up a couple of his thugs and fucking punches an ostrich. And then it's like back, you know, like back to the main mission. <laughs> the The only problem with these picks, and this is just, I guess, a, a symptom of you know, the way this works, almost every single one of these villains that we've named, except for three, have appeared already in Batman movies. Uh, the only ones that haven't are um, Red Hood, Hush, and Professor Pig. And I, one thing I've been wanting the Batman movies to do is to diversify the pool a bit. So I hope they do that. I mean, I, I also feel like Clayface could be a strong contender because he's a character that's, like, in, increased in popularity over the last couple years and, like, hasn't really been... He hasn't had a, a big screen debut yet either. I have a big need to see Clayface on screen. That would be so fucking cool. And then if you have him do the face turn later, like, that could be cool too. And I'll say it again. Hush. He was a, a part of that story, so... You can, you can use them. So, uh, another week, another pair of trailers to talk about. This time we're talking about, uh, well, we'll start with Batwoman. We got our first trailer for this series. It's going to be on the CW this fall. Um, one that I was actually really looking forward to. I've said it before on the show. I'm a big fan of the Batwoman character. I think there was a lot of trepidation about this show and what it could be. This trailer definitely gives us a better idea, and I'm very curious as to what you guys think about it. Um, so <clears throat> it's uh, it's funny because I I just like I, I I'm so disconnected from these shows, yeah. That like it I I it's really hard for me to like have an opinion on it. You know, because, like, I just, these shows just don't speak to me 
you know, and like if if Arrow and and uh, and Flash and Supergirl and all these this other first round, you know, didn't grab me, it's like to think I'm going to jump on now just like seems unlikely, especially because like I don't have that connection to Batwoman that you do. Um, so I just yeah, I don't I don't really have much like it just felt like kind of. And just kind of generic, I guess. Like, it just felt like a trailer for a superhero show, you know? And that's not, like, bad. Like, that's what it is, you know? It just, it was nothing that, like, made me think, like, oh, this is the the first one I've got to tune in for. You know what I mean? No, I, I had a, a similar opinion. It was very much just, okay, cool. Like, this, this trailer came out, and uh, I'm excited for the audience who's going to watch it. But this isn't, I'm not that audience. And, um... I think it was, you know, the the as a trailer itself, I think it was produced fine. It it, it sort of gave you teases and hints to to stuff within the world and and um, introduced you to some things that, you know, if if it was catered towards me, I'd want to tune in for like uh, her discovering the Bat Cave and being in there and 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 all that stuff. Like I think that's intriguing enough for somebody who is watching the CW and along with these other shows. But um, outside of that. And again, similarly, me being so distant from it and disassociated with it, uh, like I, I think I think this is fine for a superhero trailer. And and if you know people who are watching this are excited for this, that, that that's awesome. Yeah, I I liked it, but it has the CW feel to it, and yes. for me, that's not a positive thing. It sets up the probably the biggest issue I had with it was that it sets up a um a vehicle for this to be a weekly show towards the end where they clearly set up the fact that she's you know how she gets the bat suit um, that she's got this guy who works for Wayne Enterprises that is going to help her in some way he's going to be her you know her um, Alfred type character which you know. It didn't even, like, that didn't even make a lick of sense that she could just waltz into, you know, Batman's house or whatever, or even his, where he works, and get access to the Batcave. It doesn't make sense that this guy knows there's a Batcave. It doesn't make sense that he would not stop her from getting in the Batcave. I guess Batman is absent. They make that point in the trailer. Um, so, all right. Yeah, that, like, he, he abandoned them or something. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it, it'll be fine. I'm inclined to watch it because I love Batwoman, but I'm not inclined to tune in, you know, Sunday nights on the CW to check it out. So I'm probably going to wait on this to hit Netflix or, you know, whatever. But um, I'm happy it's being made. I'm happy it's being made. So Yeah, man, I, I, I think the thing that... Um you know, like, uh, the thing that, like, stood out to me the most, like, when I just, like, was looking at it, it was, like, oh, it's number eight on trending. Damn, like, there's a lot of people watching this. And, like, oh, my God, just, like, there are so, there's so many people who are just, like, fired up about this, of course. Really? Yeah, dude. There's 149K downvotes to 46K upvotes on wow. YouTube. Ugh. And all of the comments, like, I was scrolling through the comments. I don't see one positive comment. It's all you know, SJW this and, you know, 
Like it's it's just like vile. So um yeah, it's like I I <laughs> I, I just like it's I don't even I guess like I, I'm upset I even brought that up now because I don't really have too much to say about it other than it's just like so exhausting that that's like of course where this conversation went because it's like oh this looks like trash because it's dealing with these things that I, I hate you know it's got a political agenda and all this stuff it's like it literally just looks like every other one of these shows like it just happens to be like oh, okay this one's about about a lesbian woman okay well like I, I, you know, I have no issues with the fact that it's about a lesbian woman. Um, but there is one thing that I'm seeing consistently in the comments that I kind of agree with, quite frankly, that uh, she says in the trailer, I'm not going to let a woman, I'm not going to let a man take credit for a woman's work when she literally stole all of his equipment, his, <laughs> all, his where his operations, that's just like, like, that's hilarious. That, that's just like such like, that's like such like fucking like it's like such like cw writing yeah, too yeah. it's just it's very just like I, yeah i don't know it just it just the thing is that like i hear that and i'm like yeah that's cheesy but it's like it doesn't sound any cheesier to me than any of the shit that i heard on the, like this season and a half of arrow that i watched you know so it's like yeah like whatever <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's obviously a a uh an agenda in the in the comment section here but the, unfortunately yeah. that's something that they're gonna have that's, to face with this show oh yeah for sure but the thing is right that like i don't know in my mind like i think that for the audience that watches these shows i think those things are gonna speak more to them than the people who are like complaining about it you know like how many of those people were gonna watch a batwoman show anyway Right. Whereas, like, I'm sure if you look at the conversation about this on like Tumblr or something, I bet it's a lot more positive. Yeah, that's that's pretty reasonable to believe. So, I mean, let's just fucking see what happens, man. I'm interested to hear what you think about it, Sean, since you're such a big fan of Batwoman, but are like similar to me and Marco, where it's just like none of these CW shows have grabbed you. Except Marco and I love Riverdale. That is true. You know. <laughs> well, you know, up until like a certain part of the season. <laughs> this yeah, this should have been a movie. That's my opinion. It, it should be a movie. You cannot capture the best part about that run on television because the look and feel of the Greg Rucka run is um, second to none. And they're not doing it justice. They're not trying to. And that's really, really unfortunate. Uh, so then the other trailer we had to talk about was the Swamp Thing trailer. I assume this will be the last one until the show drops because it comes out on May 31st. Whoop. Yeah. So, Marco, what would you think? Uh, this was cool. It, again, it, they lean into this horror stuff. And I'm glad that, that that's the direction they're leaning into. Um uh, I was trying to see if I could pick up like little Easter egg stuff, but it seems like they're they're changing things here and there with regards to the characters and some of the origins and and stuff. And so, uh, I'm excited to see to watch it for what it is. Um, uh, again, it has like these more monstrous elements, so I think I'm about that. And if what the arc is, if what I'm expecting the arc to be, uh, ends up being that. I think then, you know, the direction they're taking it currently, uh, it's going to produce a strong show. So I'm, I'm excited for, I'm excited for this. 
it, this was a cool trailer it it gets it got me hyped for you know and also gave you a little insight into what might be happening you know in that first pilot episode um so I, i'm i'm excited to just to dive in and i'm i'm ready for this i'm hungry for this hungry damn uh yeah i you know what i really didn't have a, a big takeaway from this trailer it looks good i think they've established that pretty well that that this is good stuff um and uh i'm i'm in on horror right now like i just read some of harold uh, county you know i i i'm I've talked a lot about how big of a fan of horror I am, and this is going to be that. I've wanted a new horror television show to watch, uh, but I don't have the app, and I don't know that I'm going to pick it up for this. So it's kind of, you know, I like what I see, but I don't know that I'm going to be able to watch it. I'm going to shake down Marco for his login. That's my thing. Damn. <laughs> like, look, bro, here's here's the deal. Uh you want to talk about Swamp Thing, right? I do. So if you want to talk about it on the show, the easiest way for that to happen is for you to just give me and Sean your logins because we want to watch it. Because I thought this trailer was hype as fuck. Uh, I thought the first one was cool, but this one I was like, oh, yo, this is like, this is exactly the vibe that, that this should be. And yep. like, it really seems like they're going to nail it. So I, I definitely want to watch this. This is the first DC Universe show that had a trailer where I was like, yeah, like I, I really like I heard Doom Patrol is great and everything. I'm interested in it, but I'm I'm not interested in getting the DC Universe app. But I'm like, this is the one I'm like, this is cool. This looks really cool. Yo, bet I'm getting you guys uh, logins. Oh, what's up? Right. Let's do it. Let's write it off. We'll put it on the business's taxes. It's fine. Hey, if if. If that's what we're gonna do, man, I will. I will. I will absolutely. We can. We can review the show. Let's do it. Oh Let's hell it. yeah! Let's write it off. Write it off on the taxes. Let's do it. We can definitely do that. So, um, although I'll do a uh, Swamp Thing review. Fuck yeah! When uh, they one do it thi- once a week, right? They put the show out once a week yeah, on DC Universe. Um, one one thing I was gonna just mention is with regards to like the the viewership for the the trailer itself. It only has 130,000 views compared to like some of the other stuff like um like Batwoman that we just covered that had like Which about is number 1. 8 2. on trending. Right. <laughs> so there's also just like an issue of visibility for this kind of show. Yeah. Um which is the only thing that I like like worries me for its longevity. And again, the the DC Universe app doesn't have the penetration that I'm sure anyone wants. So, and, and again, it's like a niche character, niche genre, you know, it's niche on niche on niche with this show. So those people that have the DC Universe app have something to look forward to and enjoy. The question is, how many people will this bring in? Sean, you defined me. Niche on niche on niche. <laughs> <laughs> that is accurate. But 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 for real, though, I think that that's kind of the call for a show like this, right? Is to bring people in. And I'm not confident that it can do that. You think about what Netflix was able to accomplish with Daredevil. I feel like those Marvel shows, uh, I, I would make the argument that they did bring people in or at least keep people involved with Netflix. And... Netflix without those shows probably would have just had something else. DC Universe app needs every one of its shows 
to penetrate. And I think the the advantage of Daredevil was that it was bingeable. They released everything all at once. And, and these shows they've been releasing weekly, which isn't the, I think, the standard anymore for for this for the way that people view entertainment nowadays or, or that they view these kind of shows, right? We're we're here for that bingeability. Like that's how Stranger Things uh got popular, right? It was one uh, a niche horror show about the eighties that blew up because of quality and you could watch it fully produced. Whereas this, it could be quality in that first episode, but you have to wait for that next week. That'll kill that buzz. That'll you know, it, it, you you can't capitalize on a lot of it. There's also, I think, the issue that both of the examples that you talked about were things that were hits on already ubiquitous platforms. Like even when Daredevil came out, like Netflix was already like a thing. Right, you know, right. like it might not be, it might not have had the market penetration that it has now. Where I feel like if you don't have a Netflix account, you're kind of like, in, yeah, you're in like a really extreme minority, you know, on that one. Um, you're in a niche on a niche on a niche. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I think even at that point, like Daredevil was a thing where it was like, oh, everybody's talking about Daredevil. It's awesome. It's set in the same, it's in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which was also very much popping off at that point so it's like it was like easy and everyone was talking about it so it was like oh why wouldn't i go watch this thing on this thing i'm already paying for and the same is true of stranger things and any other netflix show that like hits like that in a in a big cultural way it's like well yeah because everybody has netflix so like this is i think it all of the things that you just outlined are why i think these dc universe shows have such an uphill battle and it's the same reason why i think nobody watches like cloak and dagger like i've heard it's really good but it's like who fucking cares no one's talking about it so like you're not missing out on the cultural conversation if you're not watching it and do you really want to pay for some other service that you're only going to use for this one show or you know whatever it's like no yeah and um but before we hop off the topic uh DC is actually going to be reprinting House of Secrets uh, 92, which is the first appearance of Swamp Thing, uh, separate from this character, separate from this character. Um, but it is the, that first appearance back from uh, 1971, and that'll be reprinted. And it's going on sale for some reason in August. Uh, I don't know, but uh, just just a tidbit there. DC, DC, just. They've they've got a lot of good stuff going for them, but then there are those <laughs> weird, those weird decisions that just make you scratch your head. But I I hope the show's a success. I I definitely do. So this this upcoming story here, I really uh, uh, I'm really interested in, and I wish Phil was here to talk about with us. So. In August, Warren Ellis and Ramon Villalobos. Is that is that good, Marco? Vija. Vija. Better? Yeah. Okay. Uh, they're, they're teaming up <laughs> f- to bring back Wildcats. So, for the past couple years, I think, um, Warren Ellis has been working on the Wild Storm. Yep. And kind of resurrecting that you know, that group of characters. Um, and now we're getting into wild cats. This is all, 
uh what's it's not it's not vertigo right it's um wild storm oh no, just the it, wild yeah wi- it's just wild storm it's just wild yeah jeez yeah okay right of course wow it was independent and then dc bought it was the thing yeah yeah so so they're they're bringing that back and they're bringing it back through warren ellis and i never read any of like Wildstorm, Wildcats, nothing like that. So I have no familiarity at all. But I do know enough to know that this is a big deal. Um, Warren Ellis said this about, about him writing the series. The first line I wrote down for Wildcats was, Saving the human race from the human race. It's a team. Yeah, that is pretty cool. It's a team. That's a good, that's a good it's line. A team made up of people who have seen the worst in everybody and everything, and yet still put themselves in frankly absurd amounts of jeopardy just so tomorrow might be a little bit better. And it's a short series, so I might just kill them all. Come and see what happens. The art is great. <laughs> <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> oh, that, that and that sounds awesome. I love Warren Ellis. He's. Just a really great creator, um, a legend. You know, I, I don't. I don't think that's disputable. And no. I'm I'm excited to see I'm what like, he does with this. Yeah, dude. He he's just like, he's the fucking man. He he's one of those creators where like I like I wouldn't say that he's like one of my like all time favorites, but like he just is like. He's very good at doing a few different skews, and like when his name's on a project, it's definitely something where I'm like, oh yeah, like that's mm-hmm. I'll pay attention to yep. that, you know? Because like, uh, like obviously a total legend in the space of comics, like is also did the Netflix Castlevania show, which is like one excellent fucking season of television, and then one pretty good one, and it's like he also did fucking dead space and like yeah he's just he's the shit man like yeah so i this is definitely something to be excited for um if you're a fan of wildstorm and if you're not like seems like a good chance to like you know get new new blood interested in it yeah and for all intents and purposes apparently this wildstorm has been like exceptional so i i think I think Phil's read it or mentioned it. Yeah, at, at least, uh, and has they've stated that it's it's good, it's good stuff. Yeah, and uh, fucking Vil, how do you say Vil Lobos? Yeah, Villa Lobos. His stuff is tight. Oh, he was on. He was so, on that um that Vertigo book, uh, Border Town, right? Yeah, right. I think he was before. That was the one that went yes. sideways, yep. right? Because mm-hmm. of the all the drama. Um, so yeah, um, that's pretty sick too, to get to see him on, on something of this caliber. Yeah. And, and if you're a listener and you have familiarity with Wildstorm stuff, what should we read? Because I'm interested. I'm probably going to buy this. I bought a lot of the issues of the Wildstorm and I didn't read them, but I will read them. So I want those recommendations. Book club, book club, book club, book. All right. Hit us with your Rex. Let's do it. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, definitely something that uh, I want to jump in on. So congratulations are in order to one Michael Marici. I think that's how you say his last name. Might be Marecki. Marecki, Marici, something, you know, something like that. Italian. It's, a, 
It's Italian. Yeah. <laughs> Something Italian. Uh, so congratulations are in order because this man has hit it big. Uh, he signed a multi-project deal with Vault Comics, a multimedia deal with Vault Comics. This is the creator behind, I think his, his most recent thing is Wasted Space. And um, he's they're, they're going all in on him. They're banking on him. Adrian Wassel, who is the editor-in-chief of Vault Comics, had this to say about this partnership. Simply put, Michael Morici is among the most talented, dedicated, and versatile storytellers working today. He's written nearly every contemporary icon out there, from Luke and Leia to Batman and Wonder Woman. He's worked in comics, prose, video games, and audio across every imaginable genre to glowing commercial and critical success. All of those accolades are stunning, truly, but the heart of the matter is this. Despite his rich history of excellent storytelling, Morici has found a new voice, his voice, unlike anything in the market today. Could they have come up with a more glowingly brilliant statement about this guy? Yeah, it's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, they they are big fans of, of uh, Mr. Marecchi over there. Marecchi, whatever it is. Like, th- that is some glowing fucking praise. Yeah. Whoa. But, I mean, they're not wrong. Like, the guy's got... You know, quite a resume. Yeah, he definitely does. I I um I tried wasted space, and uh, I wasn't into it. I I wasn't a big fan, but I know that you know it's it's got it's got its its fans. Uh, and that's great. I'm rooting for this guy because uh, Travis, who you 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 both will know, uh, someone who we used to work with, uh, he he put me on to this guy many many years ago. And that was when he was like more up and coming, I guess, and trying to make it make it happen. And so he's a nice guy. I met him, a uh, very nice guy. And I hope that you know he gets an even bigger platform out of this. I mean, they're making uh, they're making what an audio book based on his show or something, or his book, something to that effect. Um, a graph graphic audio is what is what it's being called. So. Like an audiobook, but not. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that's like a, the company that they're partnering with to do something, right? So they're doing that for the first two arcs, um, and then they're also continuing the series, which will be twenty five issues. So they'll continue publishing Wasted Space uh, for at least twenty five issues. He's working on a video game tie in to the book. Which, well, is that, go ahead. It says it says he's. I don't know if that's connected because the Hollywood Reporter says he'll also collaborate oh, with Tim yeah. Seeley and LH on an upcoming video game title tie-in, as well as create all new projects for the publisher, including an upcoming collaboration with a high-profile movie screenwriter. So it sounds like he's going to do a video game comic. Also create some new creator-owned stuff, and one of which will be a collaboration with like a notable movie writer. Hmm. Interesting. Well, he's got a lot on his plate. And can I can I just throw out a crazy guess just to see if I'm right later? 
Okay, so I'm gonna guess that the the screenwriter that he's that he's partnering with is Gary Whitta. Gary Whitta is uh, a pretty well known screenwriter. He worked on he contributed to Rogue One. Um, he's done a few other notable projects, and uh, I know he, I know I know his work pretty well because he works with uh, Kind of Funny, which is my favorite podcast network. And um, he, uh, I know he just recently started writing comics. So I'm just throwing that as a guess out there. I wonder if it's going to be him. Interesting. But again, hats off and uh, congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. This is a huge opportunity for him. Um, and one I think is like clearly well earned. Right. So uh, I am really excited to see what he does with with this freedom. You know, I love I just love deals like this. I really love seeing like creators who have like proven that they have chops, like getting a chance to just like kind of. Like do their own thing. Like, hey, here, like, have some creative control. What are what are your dream projects? Let's try and get them off the get them off the ground and see if something sticks. You know. Yeah, that's why I like to bring this up. It's cool to highlight creators like this, and uh, we're in an era now where this is like it's every other week that this is happening. But uh, every creator who gets this opportunity has certainly earned it. Believe it. Well, and also, like, it's cool to see a, a company like Vault making moves like this and, like, placing bets on people. Like, being like, hey, maybe you're the guy that's going to help catapult us to relevance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or increased re- relevance. I don't mean to, you know, I didn't mean that as an insult to Vault. I just mean, like, you know, obviously every publisher out there wants a bigger piece of the pie. And the the best way to do that is to have you know, create our own books that people can only get from you. All right. So as promised, uh, we do have Tyler Crook here with us to talk with us during our main topic. Tremendous artist behind several really, really cool books. Uh, one of my new favorites is Harrow County. Um, but we've also the, the Stone King. And then Marco, you tell me how many other books have you seen this man's art in? Uh, Petrograd, uh, BPRD, some six gun stuff. So, uh, uh, what is it? Man thing all over the place. Yeah. So welcome. Welcome. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. There's only one other thing that I think I've done that you haven't mentioned. And that was a book called, uh, Bad Blood. From oh, Dark the, Horse. yes. Wow. Marco fake fan. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. You know what? That's it. Ring me out. I'm done. <laughs> how do i get this mic off i'm out of here <laughs> so tyler i wanted to ask you earlier we got a we got a fan question um who he was just asking about you know what it's like when you go to before we started recording we we're talking about the the horns in the background you guys probably heard that from me uh that's new york living but we got a fan question who was just asking about you know, New York Comic Con, he's going for his first time and he wanted some advice on how to approach it and how to approach creators and stuff like that. So I just wanted to ask you, um, A, have you ever been to New York Comic Con? And B, how do you like to engage with your, your fans when you when you go to these shows and what's the engagement typically like for you? Do you get a lot of positive feedback? What's your experience at cons? Um, well, first off, I went to New York Comic Con once. Um, I think it was it was a long time ago. It was like 2012 or 2013, something like that. Um, I haven't been back. It was like one. It was one of those shows that um, I had a very good show, but um, it's really expensive to go to to New York Comic Con. And then like um, I'm not a person who gets very claustrophobic, 
but this was back when I don't think they have this anymore, but there was like the two, there was the large floor and then there was the artist alley that was sort of in a separate building and they were connected by that narrow hall. Mm -hmm. And I got trapped in that narrow hall. Um, three or four no, times. No. <laughs> and like I said, I don't get like claustrophobic and I'm okay in crowds and stuff, but oh my God, I had like some minor freakouts. <laughs> so it hasn't been a super high priority to return to that experience. But um, as far as like, and you're, is this like a, this is a question about a, approaching people like as a fan or? Yeah. 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 And like how, what you, what, what you enjoy about, you know, your interactions with the fans. Um, You know, the thing like, well, for one thing, it's always really wonderful when someone comes up and is like, hey, your work is great. It's like, I won't ever say no to that. But um, <laughs> more than anything, I like sort of like, I like it when people come up and they have some sort of story about, um, you know, like with Harrow County, there's a lot of it where people will come up and they'll be like, oh, yeah, you know, I grew up in the South and we have this story about this. And my grandma told me this story. And that stuff is always super fun and interesting. And, um, and I don't know. Fuck, man, I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> I, I like, I don't know, I like people in general. I like meeting people. Um, and so when people come up and um, want to talk about comics with me, like, that's that's awesome because I love talking about comics and stuff. I think a lot of fans, and I know that when I was just starting out going in, you know, conventions, New York Comic Con, I was, uh, I was intimidated because, you know, you guys are – you guys are regular people, of course, but you put out this work that we all love so much, and it can be intimidating to go up to someone whose work you've been following in whatever capacity, and they don't know you, and you have all these feelings, you know? Um, but it's cool to hear from you that, hey, it's it's great to, to interact with the fans and stuff. It just takes the pressure off to know that if you're a cool person and you go up and just say hello, it's going to you know it's gonna be fine most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the thing that, like, I don't think I really understood this until I started working professionally, but, like, the line between a comics professional and a comics fan is really, like, razor thin, you know? Like, there's people who um, came up to me at shows and talked to me and were like, hey, you know, I love your stuff, blah, 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 I'm a huge fan. And then, you know, six months later, like, they're announcing their Marvel book that, you know, that they... <laughs> And it'll be their first comic. You know what I mean? It's like, that's that's an incredibly common experience. And even me, like, um, oh, man, I always space on... I'm so bad at names, and I space on them, and it's always embarrassing. It's Dan Brereton. He just did a, um, a variant cover for Man or Black, my book that's coming out in, um, in July. And he was one of those dudes that I met at a convention, um, and he gave me a bunch of great advice and all sorts of stuff. Um, very encouraging and now um you know 10 years later we're hiring him to do variant covers for me which is like i would never in a jillion years have predicted that you know what i mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's cool that's really cool and uh actually speaking on uh matter black can you tell us a little bit more about that that book because uh, that is you will be returning um to work with uh, cullen bunn and uh brian hurt on that right yeah yeah they're they're co-writing it um yeah, that book, I, it's really fun. I just, um, I'm almost done with the second. I got it right over here, the second issue. Um, and it's it's sort of a, uh, in the same vein as uh, Dark Shadows, that sort of 70s soap opera. So it's like a horror-inspired family drama is what it is. And um, it's about a, uh, a family of 
wizards or sorcerers. And um, the head of the family, Roman, is sort of um, in his waning days and trying to figure out what he's going to do with his legacy and what he's going to do with um, with his house. He's the head of the household and he needs to pass it off to somebody and needs to figure out how to do that. Um, yeah, so that's a matter of black. Um, coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> the um, what is that working relationship like with with Cullen Bunn? Uh, obviously, you worked with him on Harrow County, and uh, I'm a huge fan of that. So I'm interested to see that. Like, what is that working relationship? You know, either be it scripts or even just like calls. You guys just like hang out. Um, well, he lives really far from here. He lives in Missouri, so I. I I rarely see him in real life. Um, but my working relationship with Cullen is, it's one of my favorites, actually. He's one of my favorite writers that I've ever worked with. He, um, and it's difficult to explain why. I think that, um, you know, when you get a script from a writer, um, even the best writers, you spend a, a fair amount of time going, what the fuck is this dude talking about? You know, you're trying to, because you're, you're reading the script and, you know, there'll be sort of some staging notes in the panel descriptions of like, this person's here and this person's here. And then, then they get in their car and they do, and there's stuff. And, and even with the best of intentions and the best writers, like they can't, that stuff isn't always clearly communicated in the script. So there's a certain, lot, there's a lot of time spent sort of like decoding what the script means so that I can actually build it into a, a real comic book. And then, um. But with Cullen, I don't get that very often. Most of the time with his scripts, um, one time through, and I sort of understand the point of every scene, and I understand what the characters are doing and saying, and um, and it's just very easy. And I think I think Cullen and I just sort of think of stories in a very similar way. We sort of want to construct them and tell them in a very similar way that um, just makes it feel very natural to work with them. Yeah. So there's, so there's not a lot of back and forth. I mean, with Harrow County, there was, uh, we had a, I don't know, there were probably like three or four longish phone calls that we did where we sort of worked out some, some larger story points. But, um, for the most part, he just wrote his scripts and gave it to me and then I drew them up and then they were done. I mean, <laughs> I mean, after a ton of blood, sweat and tears, they were done. But. And um, when you do put uh, brush to paper, like as you're breaking down the scripts, uh, you mentioned it's an easy working relationship. Do you just kind of envision it like as you're reading it or do you start? Um, I was looking through your blog and uh, you have like uh, an example for one Harrow County page where you sort of uh, sketch it out first and then you sort of kind of approach the panels and then you sort of start to draw it in. Can you talk about that? Um, well, I have a a pretty set process for that. Like I do, um, like every every book that I do, I do like um, thumbnail drawings for everything, and then I actually I do my lettering over the top of my thumbnails, and then um, and then I print those out on large paper that's like eleven by seventeen paper, and I do my pencils on that, which is actually that's changing a little bit. I'm starting to actually pencil digitally now. Um, but that's still sort of in its infancy or whatever. Um, but anyway, so I, I pencil it. Um, and then I do a thing where I scan those in and I print them out onto my really good paper that I'm going to do my inking and watercolor on. Does that make sense? It, uh, it definitely, no, it definitely does. Um, not, uh, I don't think we're, uh, here we're artists necessarily, but okay. the process definitely makes sense. <laughs> so yeah, the, um, and I do a thing that I don't know if a lot of people do this, but I'll always like, 
try to thumbnail a whole issue before I work on any of the like character designs and stuff. Um, especially with like creatures, like doing monsters and things like that. It's really important for me to sort of like, there, it'll always be in the script. Like this monster is sort of a bird lady. So I'm like, okay, I have a bird lady and I do sort of like a generic bird lady in my, in my thumbnail layouts. Um, but once I can see like what this bird lady monster is supposed to do, I can, um, like how she's going to interact and all the different stages they need to go through in the story, then I can use that to build my my designs on. So then I go to my sketchbook and I do a lot of sort of um, doodling to try to find the um, you know the the creature design that w- that we want to go with. And sometimes it comes really fast, and sometimes like it's a lot of work. But um, yeah, there's really no consistency between that. I mean, there's there's a couple of creatures where it's like um, as I'm doing my thumbnails. Um, you know, by the end of it, my little thumbnail bird monster is like well defined enough in my mind that I can just go straight to the final drawings on the on the page and not have to do a bunch of like character turns and things like that. But it varies wildly. So like sometimes the good ideas come easy and sometimes the good ideas take a lot of work. So I, I, I think that's really interesting, something that you said, and I, I want to just, um, I guess, ask for some follow up on that, where you said that like as you understand what like the bird lady would need to do that's when you kind of go and and sketch out some of the character design so do you try to like inform creature design based on the actions that you know the creature is going to have to take so like like specifically like um you know like i know in uh in the stone king right there's obviously um uh i can't remember the name of the species but the the main character's mount is like is is effectively like a dog like wolf like creature yeah like i think it's called a deco yeah, I think it was Deco's. Yeah. yeah. And um so like the fact that uh that he had to be a climber, I know he has like those very like defined mm-hmm. claws mm-hmm. and and like that look like they could grip and everything like that. So is is that kind of the process for you? Is like working backward from what you know the creature will have to be like physically doing? Um yeah, largely. Um you know, it's but it's not just um what they have to physically be doing, but also sort of the emotional beats that they have to fill in the story. And lots of times it takes a while to sort of, you know, understand and decode what what the character is for the for a different creature, and like the 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 dog guy in Stone King, I mean he he not only had all these these you know very specific functions that he had to serve in the story. And there's my dog. Oh look, there's one right now. Hey, hey sweetie. <laughs> um, so anyway, so he had to like be able to climb the giant and stuff. But he also needed to be, um, you know, a big, sweet dog friend, you know. Yes, we know you're a dog friend, too. (laughs) (laughs) We love dogs on this podcast, so. Yeah. If I wasn't tied to my computer, I'd take you out back and you could hear my chickens cluck at you, too. Ooh. Whoa. So the the advantages of living in the middle of no place is um, you can have a a little farm and People don't call the cops on you. <laughs> um, so speaking on uh, Stone King, um, that's an, an Amazon exclusive that you were working on with uh, Kel McDonald. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pete and I uh, read it. We had a blast through it. Can you can you talk about sort of how you were involved in, in this project, uh, specifically with Kel? Yeah, that was the thing. Um, Kel and I were talking about that, have been talking about this project for a long, long time. And it sort of started, um, if I, I don't even know if I remember, it's been so long, I don't even remember like really what the spark of it was. 
I kind of want to say that I had a dream about climbing on giants, which was probably inspired by um, that old video game, Shadow of the Colossus. I think that was a PS2 game. Um, yeah, I, I was going to ask if that was the case, because I know that you had worked in the games industry before you got into comics, so I was wondering if maybe Shadow of the Colossus was somewhere in the the lexicon of this. It's funny because I've actually never even played that game. So I don't know. I don't know how, how <laughs> like, like what, I don't know if we stole any ideas, they were like just zeitgeist ideas from it. But, but yeah, that was, I think that was probably definitely, uh, you know, I loved, um, it wasn't really a prequel, but that game Ico was one of my favorite games of all time. So I loved the, um, that, that kind of fantasy, that kind of mood of that fantasy. But um, so Kel and I were bouncing around ideas and I was just like, we should have a, I want to do something with giants. And she was like, okay. And then sort of went away and a couple months later came back with an outline for um, the Stone King. You know, we had a couple sort of sit downs when we sat down and we doodled stuff together because Kel's an artist also. So we would like um, get a single sheet of paper and I would draw a character and then she would draw like a, some changes to it right next to it. And then I would do some tweaks to it. And um, and that sort of stuff was really fun. Yeah. And then we shopped it around a bunch and uh, she had a really good com- uh, relationship with Comixology. So she took it to them when she heard that they were uh, starting their line of Comixology originals and, uh, and they liked it. And so, uh, yeah, so we put it together and it was pretty straightforward of her just sort of, doing the script and me doing the art because we'd worked out the, the outline for the story really well um, before she ever started writing a script. So it was, um, it was really smooth sailing for, for the most part. I, I just wanted to ask, how does it feel for you to be releasing it as like a digitally, digital only comic versus um, you know, the, the traditional release? Like, have you, have you seen like that that's affected like how much people have like seen it or like how much you get like asked about it or. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I definitely feel like um, I'm so tied into sort of the print world of comics that um, it's like the usual avenues where I hear from people sort of break down for, for doing a book that's just digital like this. Um so I have, I, but it's weird because I also, but I've started to hear from the sort of different scene, you know, at this different sort of segment of the comics reading um, community that like is mostly digital. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's weird because it's definitely, it's like a slightly different audience. Um, and it's really, it's so new too, that it's kind of been hard to gauge um, the success of it. I mean, Every, you know, everyone at Comicsology is like, this, it's, it's doing great. We, you know, they're very excited about it. And um, obviously we got, um, I, don't, I don't know if you heard, we got nominated for an Eisner for um Yo, congratulations. I didn't. Matt. That's awesome. Thanks. Congratulations. So like it, it well, well deserved. It's doing well, but. You know what? I shouldn't be the host of this podcast because. I didn't introduce you as Eisner nominated artist <laughs> Tyler Crook. I should have put some more respect on your yeah. name, and I apologize. That's all right. I mean, my lawyers will will fix it for me later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's been very interesting, and you know, it's especially after um, you know working in in print comics. You spend a lot of time, uh, you know, trying to build relationships with different comic shops, 
and things like that. And so um, sort of not making a, a book that goes to them feels, um, feels awkward. But, um, but like I said, for the most part, it's been really good. And the book seems to be doing really well. Um, and yeah, and it was fun. It was, it was very nice to take a break from doing a lot of horror stuff and do something that was a little more all ages too. And like, that was a fun, fun little break to take. Just from, I guess, like a more back end business. And how is that working relationship with Amazon compared to those, uh, or Comixology compared to those more print pubs? It's been about the same, to tell the truth. There's, um, it's hard to, I mean, the, the book just finished um, recently. So it's hard to know sort of financially how it'll um, all play out. But, um, but no, they were really nice to work with. They were sort of, they were actually really hands off. Um, you know, we, we, it, it worked a lot like uh, an image deal where, um, you know, they sort of commissioned the work and then like we had to hire our own editor. We hi- hired Jim Gibbons to, to edit the book for us. And, and, you know, we had to handle a lot of the, you know, all the, the page layout and stuff like that. Like that was all basically our responsibility. And that's a lot of stuff like typically like with Dark Horse, I'll hand off most of that to them. You know, I sort of like turn in my scanned pages and then they do all the, they set it up for print and do all the, um, the pre-production stuff. Um, so the, so they're very hands off, but, um, yeah, like, a, but they've been super supportive, um, super cool to work with. Do you, do you ever think this will get a print run? They are, they're doing a, um, they are setting up a print run. I think it's supposed to come out, um, in June or July. Um, I'm not exactly sure, uh, oh, but it'll be like, awesome. you can only order it off of Amazon. It's like a, a print on demand, um, situation. Yeah. Uh, and I guess it was, it was supposed to be out actually, um, this month, but they just retooled their whole, like Amazon changed their whole print on demand setup and Comixology has been really good about, um, like I was just talking to them last weekend about it and they, um, they're spending a ton of time getting like, um, you know, print samples back and doing all these test runs on it to make sure that they have like the colors are coming out right and everything's like sharp and tight and, and looks good. Cause print on demand is like, if you get it right, it's indistinguishable from like an offset print. Um, but it's really easy to do a print on demand that is really bad. So, um, like I said, the comic sellers, you guys are working really hard to get it, um, get it dialed in and, uh, yeah. So hopefully that'll come out soon. Yeah, I just don't know exactly when. Do you guys uh, have any plans for for like a second volume yet, or is that something that you kind of have to wait for, like the dust to settle on the first one first? Yeah, I think we got to wait for the dust to settle a little bit on that one. Yeah, because I got a lot of other projects that I sort of have already committed to, um, you know, stuff that's going to take me well into next year. So um, we'll have to see. And. Uh... Just with respect to sort of it being digital only, or I guess digital first in the sense, um, does your process at all differ? I know you mentioned earlier uh, you're starting to lean more into like digital or penciling on uh, digitally. Does that inform the way that you um, draw or stylize for digital versus print only? No, not really. Um, Because I'm still sort of like, um, like, I don't know if I'll ever ink digital digitally i've never been able to do that um or at least i've never been able to make it look the way i want it to and um and i love coloring my pages with watercolor um and that's another thing i haven't been able to sort of emulate in um you know digitally in any way so uh 
it hasn't really like the only thing I think that was any different and it wasn't it wasn't even I don't think I did anything different I was just sort of aware of this was um Shelzy has that guided view and so um oh, I sure. definitely made sure to keep all my panels so that they would work well with the guided view um but I kind of did that anyway like because you just have to avoid um like diagonal panels and um you know like weird shaped panels um to make it work really well with the guided view and you know having a uh, white um panel borders really helps with that and that's all stuff that i sort of naturally do anyway so um yeah it was it didn't really change anything it just made me think about it more i guess yeah other, but other than that you know it's like the um the the comicsology especially when you're reading on a tablet to me it reads almost exactly like holding a, a comic in your hand you know what i mean it's like you just have the same page layouts you have the same like aspect ratios that you're dealing with um yeah if it was like a an infinite scrolling sort of situation that would probably be a little bit different but um but no with the comicsology stuff it's pretty much exactly the same as print at least how i think about it no definitely i i I appreciate that insight just because it, it, it always feels like sometimes um, I, I'm an avid reader of like webtoons or like tapas and stuff. So like they have to format their uh, their comics a little bit differently because it's a lot more scrolling. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and those are sort of intended to be read on a phone too, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you're not dealing with the same like you can't fit like four panels across on a single tier when you're doing that. I mean, I guess you could, but you'd be doing something intentionally weird. <laughs> and uh, it, because I uh, I don't have the the iPad, I have to sort of read it in that oh, guided yeah. view on my phone. Um, so I I do appreciate uh, that you do build it out that way, just because it makes it easy to read. And I, I had a, a sort of similar thought in that you know if if they were to make some kind of you know odd panel layout or, or something mm -hmm. that gets a little more like dynamic, I don't know how that'll translate as well for readability at least. Yeah, you know something that's interesting about the guided view is. Um, like, I don't, I don't think my dad has ever read any of my comics. And that's not to say that he's, like, my dad is a lovely man. He's very supportive and very, very kind. And he, like, called me up to congratulate me on my Eisner Award and all that. But he, um, he just has a hard time reading comics. And uh, last weekend I was actually at his house and he was showing me his new Kindle. And I hadn't actually seen Stone King on a Kindle. I've only seen it on my iPad. And so um, I asked him to show it to me. And then I showed him the guided view and he was like, what? This is great. And all of a sudden, like <laughs> he could see how to like read a comic book in a way that he like sort of never really understood before. Oh, Cause he would get man. to the page and be like, I don't even know what to do with this page, but like a panel at a time, like made a lot of sense to him. So, um, that's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so neat. And it, it, it just made me think about it. Cause I had, you know, so many creators sort of crap on, the guided view because you know they spend so much time doing their page layouts and everything um and then guided view just is like pfft, no page layouts <laughs> you know get rid of that um but it's it's a useful tool i think it's really cool and it's uh i, I think for a lot of people like guided view is the way to go sorry I just wanted to jump in real quick because one of the things that we talk about a lot on this show is how the industry is going to move forward because there, you know, there are a lot of us who have been fans for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years in some cases, but, you yeah. know, a lot of people have dropped out. 
and you have to find new ways to bring in people to the fold. And comic books are not easy to read yeah. a lot of times. Like, if you pick up a book as a new fan, even me, I've been reading comics for almost two decades, and sometimes I pick up a book and I'm like, wait, 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 wait how am I supposed <laughs> to read this page right here? Yeah. And so, even though I understand why someone might say, ah, guided view, whatever, because it does take away from that, which can be fun. It can be fun to, to read a, 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 yeah. a, a page that's kind of crazy, but... For a newer fan, maybe someone who's older, who's never seen a comic book before, or someone who just walked out of Avengers Endgame and wants to read, you know, Captain America comics but doesn't know how to read comics, I think that helps a lot. And it could introduce people to comics who've never read them before. Yeah, I, to- I totally agree. Like, there's a lot of stuff that sort of happened in the 90s that jacked up comic book readability and had, like, we still haven't really recovered from that. Like there has been, there was so many stuff. Like well, I kind of dropped out. Well, I completely dropped out of reading superhero stuff in the like late eighties and the nineties because um, I, I, it was largely because they got unreadable. And there were so many things that were like everything was all about you know doing these clever page layouts and trying to be super super splashy. But then you couldn't actually tell what was happening from one panel to the next. And you know the there's so many dudes like. Um, like I'll, I'll just say his name because he can take it. Um, Travis Charest, who's like one of the greatest living draftsmen ever. Like a lot of his comics during the nineties were unreadable, like panel to panel. I could not tell what was happening, you know, like, so there's, and that, that stuff still, <laughs> still happens a lot. And I, I take, I don't know. I might take too conservative of a, an approach to a lot of my storytelling, but I'm definitely like, my panels should never touch each other. Like if I ever do an inset panel, there's like a strong white panel border around it. Um, I like my panels mostly square. Sometimes I would like tilt, you know, do a little bit of a manga style tilt on them, but it's really rare. Um, I've used bleeds sparingly. Like I don't like to bleed off the edge on every single page. Um, I like to save that for sort of important things. And then, um, yeah, no, I'm I'm very much about like sort of clarity and storytelling because I feel like if you do too much stuff that's like fancy page designs that you get um, that that will overwhelm sort of the characters and the story, you know, um, and that's really where like I I like to keep my focus is on trying to keep that emotional arc of the characters um, really clear in the reader's mind. Um, more so than like showing them like the most exciting punch they've ever seen in their life. You know what I mean? And uh, I feel like it's also more economical in the sense that, you know, you can sort of hold back on those larger moments and those stronger emotional beats with like this, let's say you do let the bleed run out on like a full page or something and it it makes it more impactful in that sense. Yeah, exactly. Like um, my buddy Ravi Rodriguez is, is like fond of saying that like you can't play a guitar lead through the whole song. It's like at some point you have to like go down and just like be hitting some chords for a little bit. And then when the time comes, you're like, yes. we're getting sick on the guitar. And it's the same thing with, with the, with the <laughs> comics. It's like you can't every, if every panel is like some like wicked ass solo, then no panel is any more important than the next, you know? I, I actually wasn't thinking along those lines, but now that you say these things, it recontextualizes what I read from Harrow County because there's a there's an earlier sequence where uh, Emmy's in the woods 
and she's running away from her dad and, and the townspeople and stuff, and it's very plain. And I was like, okay, this is this is pretty, you know, straightforward. And then there's the moment where her <laughs> dad grabs her, and it's like this intense color and everything. And I was like, whoa! And it it like kind of shocked me. And nice. I was like, wow, that was actually really cool. I got baited. I like I felt like I got lulled into you know complacency, and then was shocked when that actually took place even though i figured something like that was going to happen but that was a really cool moment that i think kind of speaks to what you're talking about on some level that is so gratifying to hear (laughs) (laughs) it's like well like one of the things especially like with horror i feel like one of the most important things is to have that um have a contrast between all these different elements and there's so many like horror things where it's like uh the the story takes place in a horrible world and there's all these horrible people and they do horrible things and there's not there's no tension in that you know what i mean it's sort of like everything like that horrible thing that happened fits so perfectly in the world that like it, it doesn't really matter but it's like with harrow county particularly like we really wanted to keep that um that contrast between this sort of idyllic um mundane world and then these horrible things that happened and especially when um a lot of the horrible things that happened the the monsters are humans you know what i mean so like getting the um the horror of that across um requires that that contrast where it's like you really show them show how bad it is and one of the things <laughs> the things i i like criticize um superhero books for is like nobody, um, like not enough people cry in those. Like everyone, like when people are in like these giant fights and they're like knocking down buildings and stuff, like Captain America should be crying because that shit is scary. You know, like that is hard. And he should be like expressing that in himself instead of being like, oh man, my costume got tore on the shoulder. That must've been a tough fight. You know, like there should be an emotional cost to that fight, you know? So I think that you know there's a lot of you know that that one that moment you're talking about in particular where um in Harrow County where Emmy's father um attacks her like there's a like most of those characters like go pretty off model in that scene and it was a thing that I kind of struggled with where I was like they look she looks really weird in this panel but like she just got choked out by her dad like you're not going to like come away from that with your hair all nice and your like your yeah. eyes are going to be all puffy and you're going to be like breathing hard and you're going to be crying. And you probably have snot coming out of your nose. Like you're not going to be in a normal state after that happens. So I love that contrast of then of, you know, things going from sort of normal to being horrifying. Like I think that. it worked a lot. Um, and, and speaking on, on Harrow County. So I, uh, longtime listeners will know that, you know, I would plug that book every time it would come out. Um, how did you feel after after it ended? Like, what was that moment for you? Um, it was terrifying because, <laughs> like, well, we had like we knew we knew it would end at thirty two issues, um, and uh, we knew basically where we wanted to end the series. Like, we wanted we knew how we wanted um, you know Emmy's story to sort of wrap up and how that was going to go, um, but. Uh, I had worked on that project for three and a half years. So it was very, um, very comfortable. Like it was, it was a lot of work and it was a very intense work schedule the whole time. But um, 
but I didn't have to go looking for jobs. You know what I mean? It's like I knew I knew what I was gonna do be doing like every day for like that three and a half years. Um, so finishing it was like it was rough because it's um, it was a good series. It was a successful series. Um, I think we we could have kept it going um, maybe indefinitely if we wanted to, but um, but like I said, it was such an intense schedule that um, that it was hard to keep up for. It would be hard to do that indefinitely. So we, so we wrapped it up and it was just like, it was, it was just scary. Cause it was a big change. Like that had been so much a part of my life that it was, uh, it felt, felt really scary to step away from it like that. I'm, I will say kudos to you guys. Cause I don't think that book was ever delayed. So to, to hear that it was that in, like an intensive sort of series. Uh, I don't think, I don't think you guys ever missed like a release date. <laughs> that we definitely had a bunch of skip months and things like that. Um, that we had to do to sort of keep it on schedule. But yeah, like, I don't think there was never a time when it was like in previews and then we didn't, we didn't ship that month or whatever. Yeah, no, I'm very, I'm very proud of everything about that book. Like I think we did artistically, right. I think we did a, a, a nice job and then production wise, we did a great job. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to talk about cause I want to, I don't want to like be tooting my own harm horn, but I'm really proud of that book. I think it turned out really nice. Listen, you're an, you, you've got the Eisner <laughs> nomination. You can toot your own horn all day this is this is it go for right, it honk, honk. <laughs> if not now then when on that actually uh pete and i managed to find the uh actually all three of us managed to find the the album that you guys did for uh, oh, yeah. county uh do you guys do you guys do any other music like is that is that like a sort of a side project you mentioned uh, a guitarist somewhere around there um that's like making music has sort of been my hobby since I was in a band right after high school for a couple of years. And, um, I, I was a singer in that. And then we, um, ever since then I've been sort of goofing around with music and it's something that I sort of very intentionally keep as a hobby, um, because it's really fun and sort of satisfying and, uh, like drawing stuff is very fun and satisfying. But when it's your job, it's like, a you know, it's just, it's just a different, different animal. Like it, it fits in your life differently. So, so yeah. So I wrote that, um, that Harrow County soundtrack just because, um, the sort of the kind of music that I like to write fit really well, I think with, with the, with Harrow County. So yeah. So I just, I just did that as a fun thing on the side. And I was actually really, really nervous to put it out there. Cause I haven't actually like most of the time, like I'll write, I write a ton of music and I record a ton of music. But 90% of it is really just so, like, for me, like, I'll listen to it and my wife will listen to it. And that's sort of like it. Um, so it was really scary to put it out because I had never actually done that. Um, yeah, it turns out really good. I keep I keep thinking, well, I keep trying to figure out how to get a, a vinyl version of that out. But it's been, um, it's been really hard to make the time to sort of make that happen. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and it, it's cool to hear that, you know, it's sort of like a more... I guess therapeutic uh, way for you to sort of express yourself. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a nice way to sort of like do something super creative and be like, you know, there's so much about making art that is like, like all of the bullshit that you deal with in making art has nothing to do with making art. You know what I mean? It's like everything that makes every artist go crazy is not art. It's always sort of like, you know, thinking about money or thinking about like how will other people see this art or how will. Um, you know, how will I get this to be my job? Or, you know what I mean? It's like all sorts of this external things that are, are separate from sitting down and making a thing. 
so it's really nice to have a sort of an artistic expression that I, that I can get into that is not influenced by any of that. I mean, there's, I have, I have hundreds of songs sitting on my computer right now that are, um, that are done that, um, like once it's done, I'm just like, all right, I did it. It's like, no one ever has to even listen to this. It's like, I just wanted to make a thing and I made it and end of story. We tend to hear that a lot from uh, some of the people we, we, we interview, just like the way that you have to sort of commoditize it and then finding a way to sort of separate that from what it is that you really love to do, which is that exactly what you stated, stated is that that art piece of it is just, um, you know, I'm here to to do the thing that I want to do because that's what people, that's what like the fans connect with more yeah. than anything, right? Like that's what I feel I like connect with, with regard to the, your art or any other like sort of creator is, is very much just like the passion that you can sort of feel that comes out of it. Yeah, for sure. There's something like in my day-to-day drawing comics, the, uh, the real challenge is to shut out all those external things and actually just sit down and enjoy you know, the physical act of drawing a picture. And that's, um, it's really hard to do that. Sometimes you have to get very meditative with it. But, but like you said, people can tell when, um, a piece of artwork was created from a place of joy. And when a piece of artwork was created as a gig, you know what I mean? It's like the people like, even, even if there's nothing you can really point at and acknowledge it, like people can just feel it. When I was first like taking my portfolio around trying to get um, interest from editors. I had um, basically half my portfolio was things that I thought editors wanted to see. And the other half was things that I wanted to draw. And almost a hundred percent of the time they'd be flipping through my portfolio, looking at the things that I thought they wanted to see. And they'd be like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm." and then they would get to the parts of my portfolio that were things that I wanted to draw. And they're like, Oh, Oh, this is interesting. Oh, I like this because you know they could just feel it. But and to me, like I couldn't really tell the difference, like what was different, except that um, one gave me a much much better feeling. Like one, like I said, one was from a place of joy, and one was uh, from a place of um, trying to accommodate some external idea that I had. Do you expect yourself to continue to work in the creator own space, or or? Uh, how do you sort of balance that? Yeah, like I, I think I will. Like I, I don't know. Like, like I get, I, I probably get some sort of like job offer from Marvel or DC, um, like once a year, and it's been really, really hard. Like for the most, for the most part, it was I was working on Harrow County, and that was an absolute full time commitment. So I didn't have time to do um, any sort of large scale project beyond that. Um, but then I still like keep my schedule full. Like I said, I know what I'm going to be doing until um, well into 20, 2020. Um, so it's really hard to sort of like find the schedule time to do work for higher stuff, which sounds funny because um, I know like I think a lot of people doing work for hire are trying to get out of it. And um, and I honestly wouldn't <laughs> mind, like I would love to do like some Marvel and DC work, but it's just been really, really hard to to schedule it. Because I'm scheduled so much further ahead than than both those companies tend to schedule, I think. Just for like the sake of uh, of like a fun exercise, if if you did have the time, are there any like characters or IP like that you'd really love to get your hands oh. on? Like, it's man, it's it's so rough because like the characters that 
<laughs> like I said, I got out of reading a lot of superhero comics in the 90s. So most of the characters that I really love and like key into are like long gone, dead. They've gone through 50 reboots and yeah. you know everything I love has been retconned. Like the thing I would love to do more than anything else would be like a, a classic Swamp Thing sort of before Alan Moore got to him. <laughs> I loved the the format of um, Swamp Thing being a... Uh, he, he was like um, uh, Kung Fu. You know, he was like walking the earth, having adventures, meeting people. Like, I loved that format. He would go, like, he'd walk through the swamp, come into a little town, have some adventure, and then be like, all right, we solved your problems. Now I must return to the swamp and he would trundle off into the swamp. And like, I loved that sort of like episodic format of the, of the character. And um, yeah. And that, and that's, that's a thing I would love to do. You know, one, one book that I would be terribly suited for, but I would love to do is alpha flight just because that was like um, when I was a kid, that was the, the book that really got me sort of hooked. That was the first book I bought like, Every month when it came out, I would go down to the Lucky Store off the buy them off the spinner rack when I was a kid. Um, so I'd love to do some Alpha Flight, but like I said, I don't think I'm particularly suited for that because I'm I don't know if I have a, a superhero style enough for it. Man, you you said Swamp Thing, and immediately I was like, yes, <laughs> sign me up, let's go, let's do it. Where is this happening? Um, that's awesome. Uh, and I've seen some of the like the commissions that you've done for people with regard to it and like the way you make him fe- uh just look not so murky but like sometimes you'll add a flower. There's like a beauty to it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks. You know, I like I like drawing um plants and flowers a lot. Like that was one of the things I liked to, like when Cullen and I were sort of bouncing ideas about like what sort of um book we wanted to do together. Um he was describing Harrow County and he was like, and she goes out into the woods. And I was like, she goes out to the woods. Let's do it. That's the one. That's the idea we're going to do. Because <laughs> I wanted to draw like woods really bad. Um, so I, and I love that about Swamp Thing. I mean, my dad, um, my dad is a, a nurseryman. He, he has a greenhouse and grows, um, he mostly grows begonias. Um, and so I was, I've been around that my whole life and I love, um, yeah, I just love drawing plants and stuff. That's that stuff's really fun. Uh, so I'm a huge Swamp Thing fan. Um, what is like the thing for you that sort of uh, sticks out? Like, like why? What, what what is the appeal of Swamp Thing? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a th- like. Well, I think, like I said, the the thing that I really liked about those um, those early Swamp Things was the sort of episodic nature of the storytelling. Like that really appealed to me. And I liked, um, I got into it because I have, um, I have this really weird comic that I bought at a secondhand store in like the third grade that I think is an Australian reprint of Swamp Thing comics. And it was reprinted in black and white. And it was um, like six issues of the Nestor Redondo run um, who came, who came right after Wrightson um, on Swamp Thing. And his his work on that book, especially in black and white, is to this day still some of the most beautiful comic book art I've ever seen in my entire life. It's just astounding. And um, Bernie Wrightson isn't like one of the greatest comic book artists of all time, 
but um, Nestor Redondo just wrecked him. He came in right after him and was like, nah, this is how you draw a Swamp Thing, dude. And it's just <laughs> so beautiful. It's it's unbelievable that like there were comics that beautiful. So I, I think that that was sort of what really birthed my love of Swamp Thing is just that Nestor Redondo's just beautiful, beautiful art and um, and the, sort of the format of the story that you could go through these swamps and have different unrelated adventures that sort of wrapped up and were very, I don't know, just very sort of simple, nice stories. Yeah, simple, independent, sort of just like you could you can jump in on one and then you, you understand it. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's the thing with a lot of like um, – particularly superhero books that I that I have a hard time with. It's just like the super intricate continuities that you sort of have to have to understand to be able to get anything out of them. It's it's it's, it's largely unapproachable, I think. It's it's really rough. My man, see, I yes, I, I feel you. I feel you. I compared to some of these other guys, I've been reading comics the the least. So I, I'm I'm oh, okay, like yeah. the, the newest to the sort of comic book realm. So I I kind of approach it in, in that way in that a lot of a lot's going on. This is kind of confusing. Like, just give me what I need, which is a, a story that I can make sense of. Yeah. Well, and even in the 80s, there was there was definitely continuity. Um, you know, there was especially like when I was reading comics in the 80s, it was like you'd pick up, who knows, like uh, X-Men number 159. And then, like the next X Men comic you managed to pick up was X Men number one twenty three. Somehow, you know what I mean. And you're reading all these stories out of order, and it was hard <laughs> to sort of match, you know, put them together. But it wasn't anything like it is today. It's like nowadays you have to, you know, the way they they spread a storyline across four different titles and stuff like that is just impossible to read. Yeah, there have been times where I've dropped off for for an arc. And come back, <laughs> yeah. and it's like, whoa, what did I miss? There were only six issues. What the heck happened? Yeah, and then like even like picking them up in trades is really hard. Like those, like you can't figure out the order to read. And yeah, it's it's rough. Yeah, so my one of my favorite comics, and they, I guess they killed it with the new fifty two. So it's actually really old by now. Um, but I loved Jonah Hex when they were doing um, one and dones, and they were doing that for a couple years, and that was like that was like the the book i picked up every month for a while was um jonah hex because like i didn't have to like go onto some wiki to figure out what the fuck was happening yep yeah that was what that was what got me into like image and more like independent books in the first place was that i just like liked being able to pick something up and like follow a creative team through their vision too because that was always the thing that bothered me the most was not only that like it was hard to follow everything that was going on, but like you see characters like trade hands between writers and artists and the, you just yeah. like, it, I, I want that consistency. You know, I want to see somebody's like style develop with a book or watch them get to tell the entirety of their story. No, I'm, I'm the exact same way. Like I would love, I would love any of these books to keep the same writer and artist for like, you know, three or four years at a time. I think that would be amazing. Um, I think the books would be better. I think it would be funner and more, you know, easier to read and stuff. Do you, do you prefer do you prefer to be uh, to work on a on a shorter series like a, like a Stone King or or like longer ones? I, I prefer longer ones. I like I like the um, 
uh, I like kind of mixing it up. Like, I think it's great to do a really, really long thing and then do some shorter things. Cause you know, when you're working on a long book, especially like Harrow County, when I'm working on it, there's like, there's all these other ideas I have and other things I want to work on. And, um, and they sort of build up. So it's like, as soon as Harrow County finished, I started, um, working on a bunch of stuff, um, that I'm still sort of working on. Um, that isn't like, I don't know, not even really worth talking about at this point, but, um, like all that, all those energies sort of build up and it's like in between big projects, you have to get those out because as soon as I start another big project, I'm not going to get to get to any new ideas for a while again. So, but I, I really like, um, I really like long projects. I like making stuff that, um, where you can do kind of slower burns on stuff. And I like, um, and I really like not having to look for work. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so the last question that I have for you is, you know, we've talked a lot about the books that you're working on, but what I'm really curious about at the moment is what are you reading? Do you have time to read books? What do you like to pick up and read? Um, I've been reading a ton of manga lately. Um, I just finished um, Sword of the Immortal um, a couple months ago. And uh, that was amazing. That, it was so funny because I, I tweeted about it. And um, the editor at Dark Horse, who um, was editing the, um, the Dark Horse uh, translations of it, was like, he hit me up and was like, I think you're the only person I've ever met who's read the whole thing. Because <laughs> <laughs> that, that book was like, it was so dope. Like there's this, there's this scene, like this part of the story where they break into a prison to free um, one of the characters. And it takes fucking three volumes. It's like 600 pages oh to like go into this prison and get him out. And it, <laughs> it's just beautiful the whole time. Um, so I'm reading that. Um, I just picked up a couple. Um, I was just at uh, TCAF last weekend and I picked up a couple Emily Carroll books. Um, this one's when I arrived at the castle. And she is a fucking force, man. She's like, I think one of the greatest horror writers working nowadays. Um, yeah, man, I'm reading a bunch. I have a stack of whenever I go to a comic shop that has like a dollar bin or a 50 cent bin, I just raid those things. So I'm reading a bunch of shitty sort of 80s, um, like middle of the road books that no one ever heard of. Like, I don't like one of my favorite um, Marvel comics of all time are those like thing. Were they called two in ones? Yes, Marvel two in one. Yeah, like it would always be like the thing, and he would meet like, <laughs> oh, Iron Man's in the story for some reason, and then, like, I love that sort of stuff. Um, they recently resurrected that, actually. Oh, really? Uh, they brought, yeah, they brought the two. Oh, ones that's back. interesting. I'll have to check those out. Yeah, it's uh, Chip Zdarsky was doing that, right? Yes. Oh, yes. neat. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it was. It was pretty cool because it was very similar to what you're talking about, like thing and. Human Torch would meet like Namor, or they'd meet yeah. like you know whoever, and they just go on this random adventure, and then it'd be over. Yeah, no, well, those were kind of neat because it was like the the story was always sort of like self contained because they had to get Iron Man out of the book by the end of the issue or whatever. But like there was always sort of a, a larger arc of the thing traveling through all these different spaces that um that that was really fun. Like that was kind of cool. Oh, so then it's actually more the the resurrection has more in common with the original because in the resurrection thing and Human Torch are mourning the loss of the Fantastic Four or Reed and Sue and the oh. kids, and they're 
they're obsessed with the idea of being able to bring them back. And so part of the overarching narrative is that and the people they meet along the road are people that maybe have some information or they think maybe able to help them somehow. They reach out to Doctor Strange. There's all these different, you know, interactions that 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 are about that. Yeah, that's really cool. I'll have to check that out because that sounds up my alley kind of. Yeah, and it's yeah. it's not too long. It's Chip Chip Zdarsky, who obviously is a, is amazing. I, I think you might get something out of it. Yeah, no. The the most upsetting thing about that whole thing is that um, Reed Richards and Sue being dead, like they'll never come back. <laughs> I know <laughs> it's over. I know. I know. It's just so <laughs> they're actually already back. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap here. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Tyler. This has been hey, it was fantastic. My excuse me, excuse me. Eisner nominated <laughs> Tyler Crook. Uh, we appreciate it so much. And I know it, it, uh, my man Marco uh, has been singing your praises since like episode one. So, oh. well, thanks so much, guys. Yeah, no, it's been great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Before you go, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, any place where we can find you, get more information? Uh, Matter Black is coming out in July. Um, that's from Dark Horse. Um, I would love it if everybody bought that, bought three or four copies of that. Um, and then I can never remember like what any of my Twitter handle is or anything. So I'm going to look it up really quick. So my Twitter is at uh, Mr. Tyler Crook. That's M-R Tyler Crook. And then um, my Instagram is Mr. Tyler Crook with Mr. spelled out. M-I-S-T-E-R like that. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So check me out. Call, get me on Twitter and listen to me like rave about politics or whatever. <laughs> and of course, I've been enjoying those tweets. <laughs> go by Harold County. Um, it's it's really good and it's it's uh, it's been filling that. I, I've been looking for horror lately. And so it's definitely hitting all my buttons when it comes to horror. So definitely go check out Harrow County. Nice. And we got um, the the big ass uh, library editions are coming out this year, and we already have two. We already have two of them out, Ooh. and the next oh. two I think will be out by the end of the year. And I think they're turning out beautifully. They're nice hardcovers, a um, little bit oversized. Um, yeah, go go get those because they're really pretty. Very cool. I'm gonna ask that everybody go buy the Stone King because I want to. Yeah, and you know too. if you. Um, if you have a Comixology Unlimited, it's uh, free to read, or it's the cost of the Unlimited subscription <laughs> to read. Fantastic. All right. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us, and hopefully we can do this again sometime. Yeah, this was really fun, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Cool. So thanks again to Tyler for uh, joining us. That was a really, really awesome uh, interview and a lot of insight on his part. And um, hopefully you guys at home enjoyed it. Let us know if you did. There are plenty of ways to reach us. As we said at the top, you can catch us on social media at the Comics Pals. If you want to leave us comments about Tyler Crook's work or you know anything we talked about on the show, feel free to do that there. Uh, if you want to leave us a like on your platform or choice, that would be really cool and it would help us. Um, and you can leave us comments there as well. The best way to reach out to us to chat is to write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. 
And uh, you can get us with anything, a random question, comments about Tyler's work, you know, what do you think about Robert Pattinson maybe playing Batman, you know, whatever we talked about on this or any other episode of the show, you can hit us up to speak on. Uh, Real quick, just as far as book clubs are concerned, we've got a ton of book clubs out there in the wild for you guys to go catch. Uh, We've got uh, Hellboy out there, we've got uh, the... What was oh, both Captain Marvels? Both Captain Marvels. We did Infinity recently, and uh, this month is Spider Man, right? Uh, yes, Spider Man. No, no. Oh no, is that's it? next month. Dar- this month that's is next month. Dark, Dark Phoenix. Phoenix. Yes, yes. Dark Phoenix dropping the end of the month, which is the 29th, I believe. <laughs> that's how far in advance we record these things. Yes. No, <laughs> yes. So. Dark Phoenix, by the way, I've got a big reveal in that oh, episode, right. so you're going to want to yep. tune in to hear that. It's me talking about the love of my life, Jean Grey, so how could you miss it? Uh, so I did, in fact, miss it. I have to go listen. You did, so you're gonna, <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to listen like the rest of the plebs to hear my reveal. Yeah, I don't know. You teased it weeks ago, and I've been wondering. I still am in the dark. Yeah, man. <laughs> so, Pete, hit us with your plugs. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come talk to me about uh, any of the stuff we talked about this week, honestly. This was a pretty uh, sick week news-wise. So if you want to come connect with me about any of that stuff, please do. Uh, If you want to check out some of my other work, you can go check out my um, Nintendo coverage over at looppots.com where I host a weekly Nintendo podcast and uh, write an article or two once in a while. So if you're a Nintendo person, go check that stuff out as well. Um, oh, you know what? What I would love to talk to you about, hit me up about Detective Pikachu, because I cannot oh. talk about that enough. It was I really liked it. Come talk to me. Um, yeah, so yeah, see you next week. Love you. Awesome. Marco. <laughs> you can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Mr. Spelled MR. And yo, come talk to me about Tyler Crook, his dope art, uh... Also, Vindication is spelled Tyler Cook because uh, he likes Swamp Thing and has the same feelings about me uh, with regard to superheroes. So, what's up? Nice. Uh, As for me, I am on Twitter and Instagram only, at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about how excited you are for the Dark Phoenix movie because I know that I can't be the only one excited to go watch a car wreck. So with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. Well, it'd be a train wreck, right? Because it ends in a train. Facts.